When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Brendan, we are back with another fantastic TFL Classics podcast and another breakfast rant. Yes, I, uh, I think I may have come up with something quite revolutionary as far as breakfast eating goes. So the main thing that a lot of people eat for breakfast is eggs. Sure. Right? What is a, a, an egg style of cooking that normally isn't associated with breakfast? An omelet? Wait, an egg No, that style? normally isn't associated with <laughs> breakfast. <laughs> that involves eggs? Yes. A deviled egg. Exactly. I made some breakfast deviled eggs. I substituted the mayonnaise for cream cheese, and I substituted the mustard for everything seasoning that you would normally see on a bagel, and I had it this morning for breakfast, and it was delicious. Cream cheese instead of mayonnaise. Yes. Now, I feel like the texture would be off there. Because what makes the deviled egg so good is that creaminess. Was it a chunky deviled egg? It wasn't. No, I, I had to put the cream cheese in the microwave a little bit to soften oh, it. No. Just, you know, just like you soften butter, right? Not not completely liquid, but just a little bit softened and then blended it all together. Mm. And it was quite delicious. And it made a very convenient breakfast. It does sound good. Did you put like little bits of bacon on top? Like little... No, little but I'm going to have to do that now that you said it. Bacon Maybe chunks? Maybe on my next, my next round of... Breakfast deviled eggs. Now, why can't you just have normal deviled eggs for breakfast? Because that's weird. You got mayonnaise <laughs> and mustard in there. That's a lunch thing. Well, I would argue that mayonnaise is an all-day condiment. Uh, I don't. I don't know that I would agree with that. You know what I do? And What's I recently that? discovered this is very weird. But occasionally, when I've had a really bad day and I'm feeling really sad, I'll just go to the the, the fridge, grab the thing of mayonnaise, take a teaspoon, and just whoop. Oh my god, that's nasty. Just a little just a little <laughs> taster of mayonnaise to brighten my day. You ever do that? No. Well, once by accident. I like <laughs> Yeah, I put mayonnaise on my sandwich and then I was like, "Oh, I should clean this off." And I did that never again. I love mayonnaise. There's no food in this world better than mayonnaise. You oh, know, man. so people do that with peanut butter, right? They'll just like quick teaspoon of peanut butter. Sure. Why not a teaspoon of mayonnaise? Because that's gross. <laughs> it's not gross. <laughs> it was I have you know, quite delicious. <laughs> <laughs> I guess to each his own. And I don't know, maybe let us know in the comments below. <laughs> Do you spoon feed yourself mayonnaise? Not in the spoon morning? feed. Let me clarify not a tablespoon. That's too much. Not multiple teaspoons. Just one little teaspoon when you're having a really bad day that'll turn that day right around. Or make it worse. <laughs> Depends whether or not you are a true aficionado of the mayonnaise. I guess so. Well, <laughs> well, should, should we spare them our, our mayonnaise and egg talk and get onto this list that they all clicked into? Yeah, and you put it together this week, Brendan, and what are we talking about? So we were talking about some semi-classic. I mean, we're talking cars that are probably in the realm of 15 to 20 years old from the early 2000s that you can go out and purchase for around 15 grand or maybe even less and would give you a fantastic driving experience, look great going down the road, and may even increase in value over the years. 
So, for those of you thinking we're crazy for talking about cars from the early 2000s in the realm of classic, um, it's a fact of the matter, we're in 2023, the year 2000 was 23 years ago. You know, we're getting into that classic territory. Not every classic has to be from the 40s and the 50s and the 60s. There's a lot of modern classics out there, a lot of modern collectibles, which are very, very cheap right now, um, offer a fun driving experience, which is different than anything on the road today, for a lot less money. And that is what we're talking about today. Absolutely. And of course, in normal fashion, we've got 10 of them here for you, and we are going to start off at number 10, which is the Saturn Sky slash Pontiac Solstice GXP, or the Saturn Sky Redline, rather. Now, this car came out at the exact wrong time in U.S. history, because this really hit the market at the same time the financial crisis was uh, going full swing. People were out of a job, they were out of money, and then General Motors is here to have our two-door convertible um, Roadster or Coupe. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't a great time. I mean, the, it, what's interesting is GM actually released a lot of really cool stuff mm -hmm. around the worst time that they possibly could. And it kind of all died because of the timing, really. I think if this Saturn Sky had been released a little bit later or a little bit earlier, it might still be around today. You know who Bob Lutz is? I do. He was the um, um, famous chairman of, of GM for many years. He's a hugely influential person in the automotive world, has established many, many great models throughout the years. This was his baby. His whole philosophy with his car was to make a GM Miata. I just saw an interview with him actually pretty recently on this car. But let's talk a little bit about the facts in this car. So the Sky came out in 07. The, uh, the, the Solstice, the Pontiac came out a little earlier. Yep, came out in 2006. And they made these all the way through, through 2010. And for our viewers over in Europe, you will know this as the Opel GT. Yeah. Now, there were base models that you could get with the standard 2.4 liter, 177 horsepower engine. But if you wanted something a little bit more spicy, you could get the Redline, which had a 2 liter, 4 cylinder turbo, 260 American horsepower with a limited slip differential. Yeah. And this thing even came with some stiffer suspension uh, and a 6-speed manual transmission. So this thing was really, I'm sorry, a 5-speed manual transmission transmission. So this thing was actually a really good performer down the road, and I think they did a great job with it, honestly. I love the way these things look. Now, question. They were sister cars, right? The Pontiac yeah. Solstice and the Saturn Sky. Which of the two do you find to be the more attractive design? I like the Sky. Simply because of the front end, I think it has a little bit sleeker design. The Pontiac's a little more bubbly, although I will say that Pontiac Solstice Coupe which is super, super rare, and you definitely couldn't get for less than $15,000. The back end of that thing is quite possibly one of the best-looking back ends that GM's ever made, in my opinion. Are they really that expensive? Yeah. They're really? pretty. Ex I mean, they, they only came out for, like, the last uh, year or so of them, and so they only made about 1,200 of the coupes. So they are very, very rare. Wow. I don't know if I've ever seen, I thought this was maybe like a dealer thing that someone cobbled together, but that's a pretty cool design. I've never seen that before. Yeah. Yeah. It was towards the tail end. They had the idea of, hey, let's turn this convertible into a little hatchback. And it looked strikingly beautiful, but the they came out with it just a little bit too late and the death nail was already going on. 
Now, when you're talking about performance, the red line, which was the performance version of the Saturn, and the GXP, which was the performance version of the Pontiac, 0 to 60 in as little as 5.2 seconds, quarter mile in 14 seconds, and they were assembled in Wilmington, Delaware? Yeah. I had no I thought clue. That was interesting. I didn't know we ever had any cars that were built in <laughs> Delaware. The small little state out there on the East Coast, they, this is actually where they were built. The other interesting thing I saw, too, was that there was a dealer-installed option where they upgraded the turbo and gave it an additional 30 horsepower. So if there are some of those out there that have 290 horsepower in this light little convertible car. Just know this is almost my first car. Really? Yeah, the Saturn Sky. Yeah, because in 2007, my dad went with my neighbor to go buy a new convertible. He decided he wanted one. They just went out one night to go buy a Saturn Sky. They roll into the Saturn dealer, and Saturn had this great thing where it was like the price is the price. There's no like markups right. and no no negotiating. He rolled into the Saturn dealer, and the Saturn dealer said, yep, Saturn Sky is selling for five grand over sticker. He turned right around, drove to Shop Mini, Bought a oh mini convertible, gosh. and then like five years later, my dad bought it from him as a used car, and that was my first car. Wow. So all you folks who complain about my mini reviews being too overly positive, it could have been the same thing with the Saturn Sky. Just if the dealer didn't have that market. <laughs> pretty wow. crazy, right? That is pretty crazy. It's, it's interesting that while they were struggling, the dealers were marking them up like that. I think maybe if the dealers hadn't been marking them up, they might have sold even better. Yeah, and the other issue with them too is the interiors are pretty dreadful. So, um, first of all, they were a little too big and a little too heavy compared to the Miata. And yeah. then the interiors were very, very poor in terms of their build quality. But still, pretty reliable car, pretty good-looking car, I think. And you're not, you know, going to be driving the same old Miatas as your neighbor. So, it's kind of a fun choice. Isn't, what was that? What's that weird three-wheeled vehicle made by, isn't it Polaris Slingshot? Sure. Didn't it use the same engine that was in these things? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that yeah. 2.4. Interesting. Yeah, I think it's the Ecotech is what it's called. They use them in everything. And they're pretty pretty bulletproof. I had a friend that used one in a race car, like a Baja race car. All right, next up on the list, Brendan, um, a design icon. The Audi TT, the first generation, sold from 98 through 2006. Yeah, do you know why it was named the TT? I don't, actually. So it was named after the Isle of Man, or Isle of Mon TT race. So, sorry, the Isle of Mon is, is that isn't it like <laughs> Le Mans? I don't That's know. Something completely different. <laughs> I'm, I'm way off my rocker. Le apparently. Mans, the <laughs> Isle of Mon. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'll, I'll go back to being American. The Isle of Man. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, the Isle of Man TT race. Uh, that's what they actually named it after, and I think that's pretty cool. And this was available as both a coupe and a roadster, and it was based on the same platform that you'd see as the Golf or the Audi A3, but I think this looks way better. And I know when these first came out, I had a neighbor that had one. Every time I saw that thing driving down the street, I thought it was such a striking car that it looked so different from everything else out on the road back then in 19, in the early 90s, I'm sorry, in the late 90s, that it's just, to this day, I still love them every time I see it going down the road. So Audi utilized a design language called Bauhaus, which was this art movement in Germany in the early 20th century, very modern, very progressive. And then Audi brought those same uh, design elements to actually a car when they developed the Audi TT. And it really was super ahead of its time in design. We're talking a car that's now 25 years old, still looks modern, still looks very aerodynamic. Now, the downfall in terms of the, the handling and the performance is that it is based on the Golf. 
right? right? And the all-wheel drive system, which was optional, was a Halidex all-wheel drive system. There were a couple of different engines. There was four cylinders, V6 options. What are some of the power numbers? Yeah, so that 1.8 liter four-cylinder um, either had 180 horsepower or 225 horsepower. And the main differences are it had a bigger two turbo, an additional intercooler, dual exhaust, and more aggressive intake manifold to get that 225 horsepower. And the thing that's also interesting is if you got the 225 horsepower four-cylinder, they came standard with the Quattro or the, the Halidex type all-wheel drive system. Yep. Uh, there was also the uh, option of a 3.2 VR6, which came around in 2003. And we got to talk about the best part of the TT. In case you're not in the know, it's kind of a tricky option to find now, but it's the baseball glove stitched interior. That is one of the main reasons that I want one of these because it is such a unique design. And if you're listening to this on podcast, let me describe it for you. So it's like this baseball glove brown colored interior that includes the seats and the steering wheel. And then along the edges of it, they gave it this yellow thick stitching that literally does replicate the stitching you would see on a baseball glove. Yeah, and it's one of the coolest interiors ever installed to a car. Super unique. Um, kind of hard to find. Not yeah. every TT. Very few TTs had them because it was a rare option. Did you know we owned one of these? Really? Yeah, before you came along, we had a uh, the 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 kind of the color you wanted, which was this battleship gray with the baseball glove interior. Oh, man. I wish I would have seen that. Yeah, it was six grand. Yeah, and it was really good shape. Um, now... The other thing about these cars is that every component on the inside that looks like metal is metal. So the bezels around the air vents, the little cover over the radio, the bezel around the shifter, everything you touch that looks like aluminum is aluminum. And I was actually recently talking to one of the PR folks at Audi. And it's funny because the PR folks at Audi and the product folks, right, they can own a lot of cars in this world sure. they can own, you know, they're all Audi fans, but like three of them own baseball glove TTs. Really? And I asked why, and um, one of the, the, the folks told me in the know, he said if Audi were to build that car today with the amount of um, exposed aluminum and the quality of materials they put on the interior, it'd be $120,000 starting. Jeez. Because this was the era of Ferdinand Pieck, who was no compromise at any expense, do it the best way possible. So these cars are really nice on the inside. Now, the downfall is they don't drive very well, they're not particularly reliable, and they don't handle very well. So, That's um, a bummer. It's really nice to look at, fantastic to cruise around in, but the Halidex is a little kind of... It's a little kind of, you know, dumb. Yeah. It's, it's very front-wheel drive biased. Yeah, because basically, like, so Audi's typical all-wheel drive system, correct me if I'm wrong here, is like a full-time all-wheel drive system that reacts. It's primarily rear wheel, and then it reacts to slippage to It, it depends, but a lot of times. Wheels. Whereas the Halidex, isn't it just front-wheel drive and then occasionally it'll send some power to the rear wheels. Yeah, I mean, the Audi, like the Quattro systems that people want to remember are like the full-time systems. The Halidex system um, is what they called like a slip then grip. So front wheels would slip and then it would send power. So it's a little clunky. The new Halidex system's much better. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, great cars to look at, great cars to, to sit in. Yeah. Not great to drive, and then they get pretty rattly over about 100,000 miles. I just sat next to a guy in a plane that has three of them. That's how much he loves <laughs> Jeez, them. Jeez, wow. Um, and then here's a fun fact about these. So the most expensive TTs are the first model year without the spoiler. 
Oh, really? Do you remember the whole spoiler thing on these yeah. cars? So what they found is that this design, as beautiful as it was, high speed on the Autobahn, at high speeds over 100 miles an hour, the rear end would get super light and lift off the ground and, and crash. I mean, people were were getting seriously injured in these cars at high speeds. Yikes. So the solution was to put a little tiny lip spoiler on the coupes, um, and it was like a recall. You bring your car in, they drill the holes. But if you can get a early TT without the lip spoiler, that's the one that's going to be the most valuable. Interesting. Yeah, non-recalled car, apparently. Okay. So next up, Brendan, bit of a Nissan uh, Nissan car here. Yeah. You, you know, we talk about this car so much, and we've never driven one. The 350Z. Every time we're at the auction, remember that was a black one. That's true, We wanted yeah. to drive it. Why the 350Z? What's, what's the appeal there? So the 350Z came out in 2003, sold through 2008. And I think, honestly, of the more modern Zs, this is probably my favorite. Um, this had the 3.5 liter VQ V6 pumping out either 287 to 306 horsepower, depending on what year you got. And you could get this thing with a six-speed manual and... Honestly, I think, especially in drop-top form, these things are very beautiful, especially from the back end, and I think they sound great. I know a lot of people don't love the way these VQ engines sound, but I do, and I think they sound better than even the newest C. That's a terrible opinion, Brendan. You're welcome <laughs> to have it, but that's a horrible opinion. A VQ engine, especially with a bad exhaust on it, sounds like a trombone in middle school. Well, yeah, you don't want a, one with modified exhaust. You want, I, I like just the way the factory exhaust on these 350Zs sound. I think it's it's subtle, yet still a little bit throaty, and I think they do sound really good. Much like my vacuum cleaner. Very similar. <laughs> you really like the way they sound? I do. The issue I is do. that they've been so... The VQ series of engine has been ruined by... Kids in G35 Infinity is a takeover means just bouncing the thing off the rev limiter and waking up every poor soul in in the mile radius. Um, Look, I like these cars. I think they're cool. I think the design is good. Other hot take is that you like the convertible more than the coupe, huh? I know. It's it's pretty rare. I generally prefer the coupe, but I think if you're looking on, on YouTube here, the back end of that, they have these like two little humps that go behind the rear seats. And it just, it looks really cool. I think it's a really clean design that I think has aged well as well. Um, the Nismo is especially cool. Um, really aggressive, especially for back in the day. Big wing out the back. Yeah, these cars are very cool. I do agree. I like the interiors too. They had these like three gauge pods up on the dash, which was neat. Definitely find a manual transmission. Uh, they're getting kind of hard to find in unmodified form though. Yeah, they were they were so cheap for so long that... Um, the kind of people bought them, you wouldn't want to buy them, and <laughs> modified them, and they sound terrible and have been thrashed to the ends of their the ends of their lives. And yeah, but if you could find a really clean version that hasn't been molested, that's the one to get. I just saw the next car on the list, actually. Yeah. Um, in person, uh, got got to do some walking around it. We're talking about. The new Edge Mustang, number seven on the list of affordable classics from the early 2000s, the refreshed version of the SN95 Mustang. Yeah, you guys had the non-refreshed version of the SN95 Mustang. You still do. Yeah, and I still have one. My wife has a 
six-cylinder with the automatic convertible and 200,000 miles. Like, the most desirable one. Performance machine right there. I think it does zero to 60 in, like, 20-ish seconds or something like that. Calendar. Yeah. (laughs) But the refreshed one, so they took the basic SN95 blobby design, squared it off, right? They gave it more aggressive headlights. They gave it new wheels. They gave it uh, slightly uh, more aggressive rear end. And then they called it the New Edge is basically what folks – I don't know if that was officially Ford or if people just named it. The new edge, but 99 through 04. And what are some of the engine options? Yeah, so you could get this with a 3.8 liter V6 pumping out about 190 horsepower, which for a Mustang isn't much, but when you're thinking about a performance car in general, 190 horsepower, nothing to sneeze at really. If you got the GT, you stepped it up to a 4.6 liter V8 with 260 horsepower up from the 225 in the non-refreshed version. So it was pretty potent. Um, And then they even had Cobra versions as well. So the 99-01 Cobras put out 320 horsepower is what they said. Okay. But a lot of people found when they dynoed them later that they had much less horsepower. And it was kind of a oh, egg-on-the-face yes. moment for Ford. Uh, so <laughs> they came out with a Terminator to help with that in 2003 and 2004, and that has cult status now. We're talking they 390 horsepower, supercharged V8, um, but those were generally underrated, and most people say those are putting out well over 400 horsepower. Wow, pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Now, so the standard GTs, which is going to be a lot of the models you find, right? 4.6 V8, not a hugely powerful engine, and they're kind of tricky to make power with compared to the older 5 liters of, like, the Fox bodies, but quite reliable, yep. very long-lived, and a lot of fun with the manual transmission. Now, some of the rare editions are starting to get expensive, like the Bullet. Yes. Right? So the Bullet was um, a, a model that was a little bit lower. It had some uh, chassis bracing. It had the brakes from a Cobra. And then I think it could be had in either Highland Green or the Black, if I remember correctly. I think and, so. Um, I had a friend that had one of these unique wheels on these. It was, of course, a um, an homage to the original Bullet Mustang from the movie. And very cool car. Yeah. And I think that is a really good-looking one. I also, like, deleted the rear wing on those. Um, and they gave it like a really neat interior to make it uh, look like the original co or the original bullet Mustang. And even the exhaust, they did it to try and mimic the sound of the original. Hmm. So they did the exhaust just a little bit different. And he's got a tiny little power bump up to 265. But, you know, my favorite of these Mustangs is the next one on your list, and that is the Celine S281 SC. They came out with these in 1999, and this is before the Terminator Cobra. They put a supercharger on that V8, pumping out 350 horsepower, and I think gave it one of the best-looking designs that the New Edge Mustang has ever had. You like it, huh? I do. I like it a lot. I don't know if I like the roll hoop on the convertible. (laughs) It looks like I could get a little handle where you could pick it up in the supermarket and move it around. It gives you extra structural rigidity, so when you're going around corners, it's not so (laughs) wallowy. You like the look of that, huh? I do. Yeah, it's a pretty aggressive ground effects kit. Um, And, you know, if you get it in a convertible version, you get that little extra hoop (laughs) in the back, and you get some cool saline... Uh, graphics on the side and a lot of power, and they're just a hoot to drive. It's very Tokyo Drift. I'll give you that much. Sure. Now, the one to get is the Mach 1. 
Yeah. I love these. Yeah. So same four six as the Cobras, the 99, um, like the early Cobras, uh, featured a retro-themed exterior with an aluminum shift knob and a functional shaker hood scoop. And I think it had independent rear suspension. One of these models in this new edge had IRS. I don't remember which one. I think you might be right. I think someone, it might be that Mach 1. Someone will tell me in the comments section. And then the most extreme, this is the car I just saw uh, last week, the Cobra R. Do you remember that one? Oh, yeah. They Didn't they only make like so many of those? And weren't they all red? Yeah. With these giant rear wings on the back? Yep. It was like the stripped-down race car. No back seats. Uh, bucket seats, right? It had the side pipes, if you recall. Uh, maybe they were orange. I think they were red or orange. But they were right. really, really unusual. Very valuable now. But I just saw that car at Amelia Island. Wow. In Florida. Speaking of Amelia Island, I, I uh, watched your Amelia Island video that was on tfl talk and you gave me a shout out so thanks what did i give you a shout you out you gave for? me a shout out when you saw a first gen ford explorer oh that's right i did yeah. <laughs> i saw the best first gen ford explorer so amelia island is one of the nation's leading um concords it's a place for people to show off some of the most um you know uh, highly priced vehicles throughout history pre-war post-war and everything in between and i was there with volkswagen i got to drive a 67 volkswagen bus which is now a car on my bucket list. Yeah. Loved it. Didn't like it before. Oh, you got expensive taste, Tommy. Loved it. I know. They got really expensive. And then um, also drove the new electric ID Buzz, which was really cool because Volkswagen actually had a um, transporter slash bus class there. So uh, it was pretty funny. You'd have like these multi, multi, multi-million dollar like 1950s and 60s Ferraris race car and then a line of Volkswagen buses. Oh and I gosh. just loved it. But it was an interesting weekend because um, – I've never been around so many cars of such value at the same time. Like you'll be walking down the street. I got kind of lost and ended up walking like a mile and a half down this road to get somewhere. It was a mess. Um, but <laughs> along that route, you'd see like a Pagani. And then oh you'd see like a Koenigsegg. And it was just like people were just driving around. Oh, man. Which is well, pretty nuts. There is one car that I saw in your video, but you didn't talk about it. And was I was that? a little bummed. It was a 80s Toyota Celica Alltrack. <laughs> It was red. And I saw it like off in the distance in your video. And you're like, oh, and look at that Buick Rieta. And then you pan to the left and it's gone. <laughs> and I'm just like, no, Toyota Celica Alltrack, talk about it. But So what was okay. going on? So there was a Concours on Sunday where you could go look at like the super bajillion dollar Ferraris. They had a 959 class where they had six of them. And then uh, the day before, they had like a huge Cars and Coffee, which is where I saw the Mustang R. Okay. Um, and they also had two events going on, Radwood which is a celebration of 80s and 90s cars. And then Concours de Lemon, um, which is Concours de Lemons. And that was like <laughs> just cars. Nothing like I love Mont. Le, no, not like <laughs> I love Mont. There was a Chevy HHR and a burned down Dodge Dart. And like, oh, boy. It was pretty funny. Um, now, Radwood has gotten a lot of attention recently, and I was really excited to see it. That one was a little disappointing in person. Really? Like, I thought there'd be, like, more people all dressed up. There were some people dressed up, but everyone dressed up and blasting 80s music and having cool activities. But it was mostly just cars in a field. But I didn't I didn't talk about the all-track. Oh, 80s man. Toyotas are kind of a blind spot in my my knowledge. Yeah. Um, the Riata, though. Did you see the Riata? Did there were a you, couple of them. Did you see that Ford Explorer? Yes, it looked beautiful. The 92 Explorer. It was beautiful. One year newer than mine. Yeah, he had the full cooler setup in the back, the yeah. 90s cooler with all the brochures. Very, very it's, rad for sure. It's funny. We're, we're like missing the 30s Alfa Romeos and Maseratis. Yeah, no. But the 92 Ford Explorer. All day. Give me that. <laughs> so yes, captures please. our imagination. It was a great trip, though. I mean, um, 
uh, there's a lot of cars there, which, you know, I don't know much about, which I had the opportunity to learn about. Um, I saw, I talked to a nice guy, fan of the channel, by the way. Oh. He had a 1949 Volkswagen, fully restored. A Beetle, I assume. Super or? old bug, yeah. Yeah, nice. Super old Volkswagen, which was really cool. Well, I guess that's that's so old that they can literally just call it's the Volkswagen they made in 1949. Yeah, it was the Volkswagen. Yeah. It was the type one <laughs> the Volkswagen. The one and only. Um, but yeah, definitely if you have an opportunity, um, it's pretty expensive to get into. <laughs> so, is it? Yeah, it is pretty expensive. And then the other thing I, I struggled with a little bit is like I kind of felt like it was like a competition for rich folks to see who could outrich the other rich folks oh, so like it was like a lot of flash right like you had to show up and then the not if like you'd see someone they'd show up with like an air-cooled 911 you'd be like oh nice air-cooled and then immediately behind them was like an air-cooled 911 turbo and you'd be like whoa that's a cool car and then it'd be like air-cooled 911 turbo flat nose and you'd be like whoa a flat nose Jesus. and then someone would show up in a 959 you'd be like whoa this is the top and then there'd be like porsche 917 race car like it's like oh, you man. could never be like at the high end of the of the the hierarchy you could spend your whole life trying to one-up other people on i know cars, so the, it almost it almost felt like some of these folks were using these cars as commodities rather than a passion but the volkswagen stand was cool i loved it talked to a guy um he was actually from the volkswagen heritage collection in germany he brought over a half track volkswagen van which was oh, just nice. the coolest thing yeah they, cool. they they brought it in just for the event it was really cool um and super knowledgeable guy there's a i sat next to a comedian actually which one? Gabriel Iglesias. Oh, really? Yeah, I had dinner with well, him. Well, of course he would have to be there. Because I know. He he has, was, look at Tommy name dropping over here. He was, a, yeah, he, he was he's judging. A big, he's a big aficionado of those buses. So yeah, that makes af sense. after we were done eating, I made sure to sat next to him because I'm a big fan. I love watching his stuff. His name is Fluffy. Yep. Really funny comedian. Yeah, and that guy and his um, uh, restore, they know more about Volkswagens than I'll ever know in a million years. Oh, I mean, yeah. they were talking about like the differences from 1950 to 1951 taillights. Like, oh, my Gosh. You know, all these little intricacies in fabric. And I was like, I just want my Volkswagen to run. That's too much. That's yeah. too much. Well, guys, I think it's time where we take a little bit of an ad break. But right after this ad break, if you stick around, we will get right back to the list. Okay. Are you back? Are you here still with us? If so, thanks. We're going to get right back onto the list. Thanks. So moving on to number six, and I chose the Mercedes SLK 350, which is the second generation of the SLK. And some of you at home may be going, well, that's nothing special. What's interesting about that? Did you know that this was the last ever car that Mercedes, or I'm sorry, the last, I think this is the last <laughs> ever car that Mercedes made with a manual transmission. Maybe the last ever convertible. I might be I mixing that up. I would up. go with that. Yeah, last <laughs> ever convertible that Mercedes made with a manual transmission if you got the SLK 350. Wow. It's not much of a looker. Well, I mean, <laughs> beauty's in the eye of the beholder. And, they, you know, they styled that front end off of the, um, what was that, the SLR McLaren. I do see that, then. yes, yeah. with the little point there. It's not a bad-looking car. And clearly these two people from the press pictures are really liking it. <laughs> They're sure enjoying their time in the SLK. They are both smiling. Yeah. Um, now, why not the first-generation SLK? I think they're, I mean, they're fine, but I think they're kind of blobby and I agree. kind of plain Jane look. And I'm sure they're great to drive. I've never actually driven one. But I have driven one of these. Oh, yeah? And they are pretty fun to drive. I, I haven't been able to drive one with a manual, but I would love to at some point. Um, but yeah, if you got the 350 on these, it had a 268 horsepower, six-cylinder engine doing zero to 60 in like 
five and a half seconds. Wow. They're pretty quick. And it's a pretty comfortable car. Yeah. Now, this is from the era, especially the first generation SLK, where Mercedes was under-engineering their cars a little bit. Yeah. So they don't have a fantastic reputation for reliability. But if you can find out the manual transmission, I do actually, I, I agree with you. It would be a fun car to drive around in. Hard top convertible too. Right. Right. So if you live in a city, you want some more security, it is an option. Now, reliability-wise, you're probably going to want to find the lowest mileage one you can get. Sure. But even still, if it's well-maintained, it should be okay. And yeah, I, I think... This is a pretty cool choice, especially with the manual. The reason I bring up the first gen is because the first gen had this little four-cylinder supercharged engine. Oh, yeah. Which I always thought was pretty cool. That is um, interesting. This is just the NAV6, but um, not a bad option, especially with that stick. But you know what my favorite feature on these is, with, I, and I'm pretty sure they either debuted it on this or I think the, probably the SL of the same generation, the air scarf. Yeah. So they put the air vents below the headrests so you can drive with the top down and warm air blowing on your back neck or on the back of your neck so that way it helps keep you a little bit warm in colder weather it's like someone breathing on you is that what it the feels back, like it's like a oh, just a little <laughs> little refresher on the back of your neck it's pretty cool though um and there's a little button you push and it just wafts hot air on your yeah. back of your neck yeah it was just, a good idea i just think that's a really great idea especially for a convertible because i can tell you there's a lot of times as a convertible owner that you're driving around and it's just a little little bit too chilly to be driving around with the top mm -hmm. down but if you had that air scarf I think it would really make it a lot better. Now, which one did you drive? Was it a 350? Yeah, it was a SLK 350, but it was an auto. Mm -hmm. But fun, though? Pretty yeah, good? Yeah, yeah, I thought it was pretty peppy. I thought it was pretty fun. It felt pretty tight. Um, the nice thing with having that hard top is it makes it a lot more quiet as well. So when you have the top up versus a soft top, it's kind of just like owning a coupe, you know? Now, I pitched to you an alternative to the SLK. Okay. The Chrysler... Crossfire, baby. Yeah. Same um, car, right? I mean, it was based, based on the same platform. Well, yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, I think so. I, I just, I don't like the way those look as much, really? honestly. Really? Yeah. Really? And, yeah, and the, I don't know, it kind of looks like a dog pooping. Well, that, the if Chrysler you get, Crossfire, that's kind of what it looks like. That was to what me. Jeremy Clarkson said. Yeah, you yeah. got that curve in the back if you get the coupe. But what about the convertible? The convertibles are better. But it's still a soft top, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, the Crossfire is still a soft top, whereas the SLK 350, you get the hard top convertible, which I think is a little bit better. Um, what yeah, about? And just it, it just it looks it has more of a presence going down the road. The SLK does, whereas the Chrysler Crossfire going down the road, you know, it just it looks it looks like a Chrysler. <laughs> you know. What about the SRT model? The SRT is cool, but you can't get those in a manual. Just like right. the AMG version of the SLK, they never came in a manual. Although they're great. I mean, you know, the uh, the AMG has the V8 with 355 horsepower, which is fantastic, but you can't row your own. Are you so you're big in the row your own boat now? Absolutely. Yes. Now, what about in a car like this though? That's it's got a good engine, but it's not a great engine. Okay. It's, you know, it's it, it's a it's just a Pretty standard V6. It's not going to handle that well. I mean, it's still soft, relatively soft. It's not sure. a Miata. So what about someone that's like, do you really need a manual in this? This is like a, more of a cruiser. What I mean, would if you you're, say to that? I mean, if you're buying a Lincoln town car, you don't need a manual transmission. Oh, wow. We're bringing in the but town if you're, car. But if you're buying a convertible, 
<laughs> you're probably going to have a little bit of, unless you're buying like a 50s convertible, you're going to have some sporting intentions going on with it. And <laughs> it's just going to be more enjoyable to row your own. So always in every car, would you get the manual over the auto? Not in every car. Okay. So what's the case where you wouldn't get the manual over an auto? Well, like I said, I mean, if you're getting like like a soft, comfy cruiser, like I recently bought an Audi A4 that I thought would be great in a manual. It's got a six-speed manual on it, mm-hmm. and it's just it's kind of numb and vague and boring, honestly. Uh, you might as well – it's just such a soft car that you might as well just get the automatic. So when you get a car that, like, the manual transmission isn't rewarding and it's not engaging to drive with, um, I think it just you, – if you're going to own that car, it's clearly just a cruise down the road and have no sporting intentions car – than just get the automatic. Okay, interesting. What's going on with that Audi, by the way? You still have that thing? Yeah, we're it's it's like an onion. We're peeling layers of repairs <laughs> that need to be done to it. It started where we couldn't get the hood open. Well, we got that fixed. You have and to break the grill? No, thankfully. We found out that actually on the passenger side of the vehicle, they had an additional hood latch that was hidden underneath all of the plastic inside. What? Yeah, and so my mechanic did the research to find out that if he pulls all these plastic panels off and, like, part of the glove box out, you can get he to found the cable? this little extra cable that he pulled that opened the hood. Wow. And we replaced the, the cable that was broken, so now you can pull it normally instead nice. of having to tear it apart. Uh, and then we also found that it had a coolant leak due to just a bad gasket, not like a head gas or anything, just like a regular O-ring that was bad. Uh, and the oil cooler was leaking profusely. So he, he just put that in today, actually. Nice. <laughs> just put in a new oil cooler. But, um, yeah, now the fuel gauge isn't working as well. So, <laughs> yeah, oh, it's just this. lots and lots of repairs going on with that thing. You know what's interesting is Brendan has the worst luck in history with Audis. I do. You have never owned an Audi that has not given you a tremendous number of problems. Yeah, but I just I like them. They, they make really good-looking cars. They're comfortable seats. You know, they have some good sounding engines. It's just, they're not, they're just not built well, well unfortunately. I mean, and at least the ones that I've owned. Yeah, the been. older stuff. Yeah. Now, if you look at like the older stuff, which is more our budget, right? You had right. Audi, Mercedes, and uh, BMW from the early 2000s. Um, I never really liked the Audis from the early 2000s, except for yeah. the TT, which was awesome. But the, uh, like your generation that you're looking at through like 2010, um, R8 was cool. I'll give you oh, that. Yes. Manual, gated manual R8 was cool. But like the S cars, um, even the RS cars, I'd be like, just get an M, get an M3 or, you know, get an AMG. But, um, well, big community around them. Yeah. yeah I mean, really big community. Either way, you'd be, you'd be well served to have a fun car, but. Neither of them are really going to be that reliable, in all honesty, of that generation from BMW to Audi. So we just published a video over at Tiva Classics where we um, uh, purchased a uh, Trans Am off of TFL Bids. Yeah. A 95 Comp TA Trans Am. We were in there bidding with all of you guys. And if you want to list your car, check out tflbids.com. Had some really cool submissions, so be sure to check them out. And we'd love to get some more from you guys. Uh, we'll promote them on the videos. But uh, Brendan road tripped with our marketing guy, Grant, all the way across country in this Trans Am. We've got a video out. How was your trip? Yeah, it was uh, exhausting, quite frankly. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, we drove uh, almost 2,000 miles in two days. Um, and that car is very loud. It's not very comfortable. And we actually just took it over to Toby's. Uh, that video either may be out or may be coming out, depending on when this podcast goes live. And it's 
it, it left its markings on me. It's, <laughs> it's dripping oil as we were standing underneath the car. It does have a couple uh, oil leaks. Yeah, yeah, a couple of oil leaks and a few other issues going on that Toby was nice enough to point out to us. Definitely needs tires. But overall, body's very clean. Yeah. Interior's quite nice. Engine's strong. Clutch is strong. Turns out the brakes are good. Needs some suspension work because it's kind of like... Um, um, like having Whoopi on a waterbed, it just <laughs> just go flying around everywhere. I would imagine, not from experience, but yeah. um, cool car. So appreciate Brendan making that long drive. Well, did you have your Portillos? I did. Yeah, we got Portillos. We got some uh, Kansas City barbecue, and even had some pit beef, which I had never heard of until the owner recommended, or the previous owner of the Trans Am recommended it to us. What is pit beef? It's basically slow smoked beef. That is like smoked outside all day, and it, they throw it on a sandwich with some like horseradish sauce, and it was pretty good. Any actually. good? Really? Yeah, I I would recommend it if you're out in the Baltimore area. Get yourself some pit beef. Wow, good choice. All right, let's get back to the list, Brandon. So number five on the list, the Mazda Miata. But we're talking about the NC generation from 06 through 2015. Um, this is the black sheep of the Miata lineup because it was the biggest, the heaviest, and actually one of the best, in my opinion, talking about the NC. Yeah, so we've talked about the other generations of Miata, but I don't think we've talked about the NC before. This was made from 2006 to 2015, and it was actually the first generation of Miata to feature a retractable hardtop, yeah. which I think is pretty interesting. That was in the time when everybody, like the SLK we just talked about, like yeah. everybody was like, well, you know what we need? Retractable hardtops. And then they realized, well, they're kind of complex and expensive and heavy, so now everything is back to soft tops. But the NC is arguably the most roomy Miata, which is why it's one of my favorites, because yeah. it's the most comfortable. It is. And this was actually the first ground-up redesign of the Miata, because the mm. second generation, although it looked fairly different from the first generation. It did share quite a few components with that first generation. This one was 100% from the ground up and all new design. And so I think that's really interesting is the, the way that they decided to go, the, the direction they decided to go with it um, after those first two generations of Miata. And yes, it was a little bit bigger. It was made for our American large <laughs> rumps in the seat, so it's a little more comfortable. But they also gave it a little more power with a two-liter four-cylinder pumping out 170 horsepower. Yeah, and I have driven a couple of these, both in auto, believe it or not, and manual. And every time I drive them, I love them because they feel like a Miata. I mean, I mean, if you are like the kind of person that wants to shave milliseconds off at the track, sure, an NB or an ND would probably be better because it's a little lighter. Sure. But if you're a real person who's driving in the canyons and want to have some fun, the NC is great. It's, uh, it's got a little bit more room. I think the design is really cool. I think the design has actually aged super, super well. It's got a pretty good interior. It's got pretty good safety technology. And it's just an all-around good car. Yeah, I completely agree. I actually, you know, I've never driven one of these. Yeah. But I do want to. Um, I would assume that they're a little more comfortable. I've driven oh, yeah. the first two generation Miatas and they're, I can fit in them, but not by much. I've never driven a NA or NB. Oh, really? No, I've driven NC and then a lot of the NDs. Um, but the, uh, this is a great car. It really is uh, a good size, I think, for American roads and American body types. It offers a good amount of tech and a lot of fun. for, for They're still pretty expensive, 
Like they haven't quite gotten to like the five or six thousand dollar range. For a good one, you're still probably going to be paying ten to fifteen. Sure. But um, very reliable as well. So I think that was a great choice. Um, now, not to something not as reliable, the E46 BMW, the three series from the early two thousands, and this one you said. The ZHP. What does that mean? Yeah. So the ZHP was a performance package that could be added onto the 330-based uh, 3 Series. So if you can't afford an M3, this really is the next best option. So some of you may remember from the earlier BMWs, like the 325iS, right? This is basically that the IS version, except they called it the ZHP. Hmm. So the ZHP from 2003 to 2005 were available on the sedans, and from 2004 to 2006 were available on the coupes and convertibles. And these had sportier camshafts, revised engine tuning, and it increased the horsepower from 225 up to 235 horsepower. Yeah, and it also has a different um, final drive ratio and a higher red line thicker anti-roll bars, and a 0 to 60 in the mid-five-second range. Yeah, they're pretty potent little cars. And these even had firmer springs and dampers as well as a larger anti-roll bars. So they could really take the corners quite well. And, you know, if you can't afford an M3, which, I mean, I know I can't, these ones are still pretty affordable when we're talking you know, under $15,000 for even a really good one. So we were talking about this in the car the other day, but my favorite generation of M or of three series, excuse me, is the E30 from the 80s. Okay. Your favorite generation is actually this one. Yes, the E46. Why is this your favorite? Because I think that was the last true three series, like the, the last true one before they started turbocharging things before they started putting V8s. This was all straight six engine cars with just different variations of horsepower and different variations of performance modifications. And although they don't have the best reputation for reliability, they are far more reliable than the the next generation oh, yeah. where they went into the turbocharging and all that kind of stuff. Yep. Those are super problematic. These ones have a few issues here and there. <laughs> just normal problematic. Yeah, just, <laughs> just normal BMW problematic. Maybe not quite as reliable as like an E30, but relatively reliable as far as BMWs go. And actually when they, they do have a special place in my heart and always will because when my dad passed away, the last car that he owned was a 2004 BMW 330Ci that he passed down to me. Now, that's an interesting story because you were much younger than you are now when he ordered that car. Oh, yes. And what's the story <laughs> behind that? Yeah, so he was ordering it brand new. He was replacing his uh, 325iS, and I was trying so hard to convince him to get... <laughs> an M3 in Laguna Seca Blue because that car is gorgeous. It is, in my opinion, one of the best-looking BMWs ever made. And he was just like, nope, I drove one. It's too harsh. I didn't like it. And so what did he order? He ordered a 330Ci, <laughs> but then he got the sport package that firmed up the <laughs> suspension and gave it bigger wheels. Um, and so then he complained that that one was too harsh. Didn't you say what I but, think is even more interesting is yeah. that the car you ordered was so well optioned. Yes. It wasn't far off the price of an M3, right? Yeah. The one that he ordered was like $44,000 and the M3 I was trying to tell him to get was $46,000. In Laguna Seca In Laguna Seca Blue. Blue. So it was literally only $2,000 more and he could have had an M3. Um, but... 
Yeah, he, he. I got my stubbornness from him. <laughs> so he was stubborn and was like, nope, I'm not getting the N3. I'm getting the 330Ci with the sport package. And he like special ordered it and shipped it in from Germany and all that. Yeah. What do you think the price difference now is between that car and a Laguna Blue M3? I, oh my gosh, I would. I'm sure there's at least a ten thousand dollar so? gap, if yeah. not more. Interesting. Yeah, oh, great well, cars. Yeah. Oh, if you're saying like as far as in the used market goes. Yeah, yeah in the well, used market. I ended up a few years ago selling my dad's old car for about fourteen thousand dollars. Yeah. An equivalent M3 in just as nice condition, especially if it was Laguna Seca Blue. Yeah, you'd be talking. High twenties. Wow, I would say yeah. yeah so it's a big, almost double. Yeah, interesting. Um, but I can't blame them. You know, the M three was a, especially the the that generation was a pretty firm car. It was. You know? Yeah, and this yeah. was his daily driver. So yeah, it would be tricky. Yeah, for sure. So next up on the list, Brendan is a, I'm a, I'm ashamed to say this is a car I know almost zero about. So you're gonna have to learn me on this one. This is the Mazda. Speed 6. Well, as some of you listeners of the podcast may know, I am a big, big fan of Mazda Speed and the whole four cars that they created in their existence. And also the Nissan Hardbody. Well, yeah, and the Nissan Hardbody. <laughs> Always the Nissan Hardbody. Uh, you know, actually, since you missed the last podcast in cases here, yeah. we forgot to mention the Hardbody. Oh, body. no, Brendan. Yes. Oh, all those people that watch that podcast. I know. They're going home with bad information. So now the hard body will have to live within you because <laughs> I dropped the ball. So every podcast that you're on, as far as the classics goes, you're going to have to mention the hard body. So that way we can keep at least that streak going. But anyways, Mazda Speed 6 is, I think, a really great vehicle and probably one of the most interesting vehicles that Mazda has made. So this is back in a time in 2003 when this came out. I'm sorry, this is ba based on the Mazda 6 that was built from 2003 to 2008. But this was made later on in that lineup. Um, they wanted to kind of compete with, if you remember, like the Subaru Legacy GT, yeah, um, where they had a bigger sedan that was somewhat comfortable, but had a turbo and some all-wheel drive. And that is what this was made to compete with. So this came out in 2006, and then they also sold it in 2007. So only a two-year model, but they put a 2.3-liter four-cylinder with direction, direct injection and had 274 horsepower and 280 pound-feet of torque with all-wheel drive. So, I mean, you get the best of both worlds. You can drive this thing year-round in the snow, and you've got a pretty potent little fun car to drive. That's pretty cool. Now, um, they don't look that different from a standard Mazda 6, right? Like the visual differences are pretty slight. Yeah, it, it has a little bit of a hood bulge, um, and it has some additional wheels. And then out back, it's got this dual exhaust. So if you see that dual exhaust and you see the hood bulge, you know you're looking at a Mazda Speed. But the vast majority of people wouldn't necessarily be able to discern this from a regular Mazda 6 going down the road. Quick car, though. I mean, 6.1 to 60 in 2003. Yeah. Pretty serious performance numbers. Yeah, 14.3 quarter mile, too. Um, I yeah. mean, 274. Like the 05 Mustang GT was maybe pushing 300. So right. you're, you're not far off the Mustang numbers with all-wheel drive. Exactly. Yeah, so you have some all-weather type of performance. And this had some handling things going on too. So it was 50% more torsionally rigid than the standard Mazda 6. It also had a limited slip differential for the rear wheels that was borrowed from the Mazda RX-8. Pretty cool. Yeah. 
pretty I think cool. it's a pretty cool machine. Yeah, I agree. So uh, speaking of last week's podcast, I thought we'd read some comments. Sure. And if you want your comment to be read for sure, send us a note on Patreon, patreon.com slash TFLcar. You guys are the real MVP. You make this possible. Big thank you to all of you out there supporting us because we couldn't do it without you. Um, but let's talk about some of the YouTube comments this week. So um, Justin says the Jeep Liberty is super underrated in my opinion. It has all the basic equipment one would expect for an off-road vehicle, but for a much lower price. Yeah. I mean, my mom had a first-gen Liberty, and that thing gave her nothing but problems. Did she have a new? We, yeah. Well, <laughs> well, she bought it when it was like one year old, so almost new. Um, and yeah, she put like 100,000 miles on it in her ownership, and she had to replace the engine and pretty much every component under the hood had to be replaced at least once in her ownership. And so that's kind of soured me a little bit on those uh, first-gen Liberties. I mean, yeah, I get it. if you got the Renegade with a manual transmission, those are pretty cool. Yeah. But I'm just I'm not sold on the reliability of them personally. Um JCWW Racing905 says cool videos always. I also really like the oddballs, like the Vehicross Cross and the X90. Oh, good choice with the X90. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So this is the podcast that uh Case and I did where we talked about some of the off-roaders that you guys had forgotten about. And I had said in there that my number one was the Suzuki X90, and it's currently the number one vehicle that I want the more X90? than anything. Yes, that weird, odd, ugly duckling of a vehicle. Where they the little blob? Make, yeah, where they decided to make a T-top <laughs> off-roader. <laughs> yes. And then let's read a couple more here. Um, nice podcast. I like this duo. Case is always great. Daniel, this is my favorite comment of this uh, video. I rolled over in my buddy's Bronco 2 in the late 90s in high school, as I'm sure many others did. Yeah. Um, that's what they were best known for, rolling over. Oh, yes. My little brother's PlayStation 1 flew out the sunroof onto a grass embankment and still works today. Wow. That's the awesome. The quality of the PlayStation 1. Do you think the newest PlayStation would go through that and still <laughs> still work afterwards i'm not so sure that one was an absolute tank yeah all right so guys thank you for watching big thank you to our patreon supporters we're gonna take a quick ad break here and we'll be right back and we're back thank you for listening to the ad hopefully the insertion has treated you well because we have no control over what we just played believe yeah. it or not the ads kind of just they're whatever they are they're just shoved in there and then we just find we just, out about it later and then we make three pennies off of it so yeah. thank you for the three pennies a big fo uh big thank you for all of you that kept listening through that ad and i was going to ask you an interesting question and i have just remembered it again okay what car did you race this morning on gran turismo oh i raced a 2007 suzuki swift and i did it on the nurburgring <laughs> oh my god must have been a long morning brendan <laughs> Yeah, I. Uh, it's a long way around the Nurburgring. I did a whole two laps so Brendan, around the Nurburgring. Brendan wakes up every morning and plays 30 minutes of Gran Turismo every yep. single morning. They should be a sponsor. I'm, please, yeah. All the free advertising we're giving Gran right? Turismo. Why the Suzuki Swift this morning? Uh, it's a car I hadn't driven yet in the game, and I had just bought it. It was super cheap. It was like only 15,000 credits. Did you like and it? Yeah, it was pretty fun. It was only like 123 horsepower, but I raced it against a bunch of other small hatchbacks like the Polo GTI, and, <laughs> you know, some other things that we didn't get here in the States. Did so. you win? Yes. Oh, nice. Well, I was playing against the computer on the, the normal mode, not even the expert <laughs> mode, so of course I won. <laughs> um, I, I like that little Suzuki. It was in Grand, the previous Grand Turismo too. Yeah, yeah, pretty fun. You can make it pretty fast. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think they even have in real life they have a Suzuki Swift racing league, believe it or not. But we never cool got we... that car in the States. I know, it'd be cool if we did get those. Yeah. I wouldn't mind driving one of those someday. Is the Suzuki X90 really at the top of your list? It's at the top of my bucket list of cars to own right now. There you go. You heard it here first, folks. If you know yeah. an X90, be sure to send it Brendan's way. Would you sell the Audi? Your pride and joy Audi for an X90. In a heartbeat. <laughs> yes, please. Take my Audi. What about the Baja bug? Oh, that might be tougher. Yeah, well, there you go. You, yeah, there you go. I don't know. Got to get a clutch. If we're doing Baja a trade, bug. you might have to you might have to throw some cash on top to make it <laughs> worth my while, but maybe. So, Brendan, number two on the list of fun and relatively affordable, relatively on this one because these have held their value like crazy, the 04 through 06 Pontiac GTO. Yeah, so these were brought in. Actually, this was an American muscle car that was imported to us from Australia because Australia had been building them as the Holden Monaro. Yeah. First GTO to come to the States in 30 years, by the way, and boy, did it ever. So it launched with the LS1 V8 with 350 horsepower, same as a Corvette, 0 to 60 in the low five-second range, quarter mile in the high 13s, and we're talking like early 2000s, this thing blew out of the market, blew yeah. people's minds, and uh, yeah, great car. Yeah, well, the thing that I think is interesting is that it actually took um, some – so there were some journalists that went over to Australia and drove the Holden Monaro and then wrote a piece onto why the, they think this car is great and why they should sell it in the States. Okay. And Bob Lutz read that article <laughs> and then pitched all the GM executives saying, I think we need to bring this stateside. Um, and, yeah, so they originally intended to sell this thing for, like, $25,000. Okay. So they were thinking, you know, Pontiac Trans Am or Chevy Camaro kind of replacement, right? Sure, yeah. Which they didn't really have on offer at the time. Yeah. That they brought this thing over, and they thought it would be a really good seller at $25,000. But in the time that it took them to actually import it to the U.S., Australia's dollar inflated so much compared to the U.S. dollar that by the time it came here, it was not $25,000. It was $34,000. And because of that, Too it's sold poorly. Yeah. yeah. Too expensive. And now they're still expensive. There's a really passionate community around these. Oftentimes, I see it for like the mid $20,000 range for a car from 05, 06, especially the later ones. Really desirable. You could get it with the uh, auto, but you probably shouldn't. You should get it with the six-speed manual. Yep. And then the later ones at a six-liter LS2, right? Yeah, and that thing bumped it up to 400 horsepower, and it dropped that 0 to 60 time below 5 seconds and did the quarter mile in the low 13s. Pretty impressive performer. Yeah. Absolutely. And if you can find one nowadays, very sought after. Once again, another car with an interior that's not much inspired. This is, I think, a, like a press pick, and already the leather's looking like um, <laughs> my grandparents without clothes on. Um, oh, all wrinkly and just... Just not something you want to sit in. Yeah, I mean, GM is back then really not known for their interior build quality, but... What about the Pontiac G8? Did you consider that one? Yeah, I mean, that, isn't that another Australian imported Pontiac? Yeah, it is. Pontiac? Yeah. Yeah. Those are also super valuable. And the Chevy days. SS, which was also a, <laughs> yep. another Holden imported. A bunch of great cars that just did not sell well, yeah. unfortunately. I think they were too expensive, but the G8 is actually a super cool car. I agree. Yeah, I would love to get a hold of one of those one day. And also, another car I'd love to own, 300C SRT8. Like the early ones? 09, 010. Oh, 10. oh, oh 10. yeah. Oh, 10. Oh, 09, 2010. <laughs> yeah. I remember as a kid, that was like the coolest car. 
400 horsepower, 6.1 liter Hemi. Ace. Yeah. That thing no, is those are, If I were to get one of those, though, I would probably go for, like, the Magnum. Yeah, but those are expensive. Magnum, those SRT8. are hard to get. Yeah. yeah those are cool, though. Um, and number one on our list, Brendan, the MR2, the third generation. Yeah. Didn't we just talk about this car? I feel like we just talked about this car. Um, we, we definitely talked about the first well, this, generation. We are talking about the Celica. Yes. Right? Yeah, we did. One. We did. Yeah, we talked about the Celica GTS. So this was in that same generation where... The last-gen Celica, this was also the last generation of the MR2. These came out in 2000 and sold all the way through 2007. And this was actually marketed as the MR2 Spider yeah. because they only came as a convertible, even though the previous two-generation uh, MR2s weren't even offered in convertible version. This one exclusively came as a drop top. Now, I think folks were a little bit let down when this debuted because the first gen supercharged, second gen could be had with the turbocharger, third gen naturally aspirated only, convertible only, and um, people expected this to be like a screaming performer. And it was a really good performer, but it was kind of overshadowed by the previous generations. Yeah. But nowadays, they're good value. Not a lot of power, right? Yeah, only about 138 horsepower out of the 1.8 liter four-cylinder. So it's certainly not a screamer for by any means. But if you're talking about comparing this to like a Miata, uh -huh. this has the engine sitting behind you. So yep. it's a little bit better balance situation. I think these might even be slightly shorter than some of like the NC Miatas of the, the same type of year. Um, and they only weighed 2,200 pounds, so they were surprisingly quick for how little power they had. Now, <laughs> I, I, I autocross sometimes, and there's a, a person that shows up, a gal that shows up in an MR2 with sticky tires of this generation, and she just roasts me. Really? I mean, bone stock, 138 horsepower. I've got like 210, and she's just whoosh. I mean, that thing is so fast on an autocross. It wow. really is a great handling machine. Nice. So, Brendan, of all the cars on the list... You know, we got everything from Saturns to Mazdas to Pontiacs to BMWs. Which one is your go-to recommendation for the best affordable classic from the early 2000s? It's got to be the one that I like the, the way it looks the best. And that's the Suzuki X90. Yeah, well, yeah, Suzuki <laughs> X90. But if I have to stick to this specific list, we're I'm going to go with the Saturn Sky Redline. Okay. I think it's gorgeous. A timeless design um, that I think died too soon but is just a really cool car. And they are starting to go up in value a little bit. People are starting to realize just how cool of a vehicle Especially the red are. line, yeah. Yeah, so if you want one, now is the time to get it. Now, I like that car a lot, but I would pitch to you my favorite car on the list, especially for how affordable they are, the New Edge Mustang, early 2000s Mustang. I loved our SN95, really fell in love with that car. Even with 215 horsepower, it was just such a great car to row through the gears, let that exhaust sing, and I think the New Edge, even better, a little bit cooler looking, a little bit faster. That's going to be the one on, on one for me, I think. Yeah. I mean, if you're going for a Terminator, those things are super yeah, valuable. But that's, super that's valuable, pretty big but, money now, yeah. Yeah, but if, you're, if you just get a GT, you can definitely get a nice GT for less than 10 grand. Yeah. Yeah. They're what's, definitely a good affordable option. Speaking of affordable fun, what's going on with the Pontiac Vibe? Uh, it's still sitting in my backyard. I haven't <laughs> had my mechanic work on it yet because the Audi is holding him up. <laughs> as soon as the Audi is done, the Pontiac Vibe is going to go up to him and get a few things done. Peeling but, back the onion layers on the yeah, Vibe. Yeah. yeah, that Audi is It's literally just like a, a clog in the arteries that's stopping everything <laughs> from moving forward. Because I also bought a Honda Del Sol. I didn't know this. Yes, no I just way. I just bought a and it's a Del Sol. And I didn't even know this until after I bought it and I was driving it home. I looked at the back and it said 
SI. No. On the back. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's an SI. I didn't even realize I just bought a Del Sol SI. At auction? At auction. Yesterday? Uh, when you were gone last wow. week. Wow. Yeah. Is it fun? Yes. Is it's it, pretty is fun. Is it clean? It, no. <laughs> it's rough. It's rough. It needs some love. It's got a lot of clear coat peel and it's got a big old Folgers sized fart can out the back. And Oh, we got to do a video. Yeah. Immediately. <laughs> Is it a real SI or do you think someone just badged it? I, I think it's SI? a real SI. Does it I say, think when you pop the hood, does it say VTEC on the hood? Yes. On the engine? Yeah. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. Is it fast? It, I mean, it's quick. It sounds faster than it is. Is it pretty loud? Yeah. It's pretty <laughs> droney because of that exhaust that they put what on What year there. is it? It's a 93. So oh. it's the first year of the Del Sol. Wow. So Drive pretty well? Yeah, it actually drives pretty well. The only thing that concerns me with it is that the t- uh, coolant temperature gauge doesn't work. Oh, it's so, okay. It just, it's cold all the time. Yeah, so I just, I'm, I'm worried <laughs> that I'm driving around like an overheating car. Does it smell hot when you get out of it? No. Oh, okay. But it just, it makes me worry. It's a Honda. Know? Yeah, that's reliable. true. We got to do something with that on the channel. It'd be a lot okay. of fun. Yeah. Well, guys, let us know what you think about Brendan's new purchase and the top 10 cars on our list. Are we missing any? Are we stupid for some? Uh, let me know what you think of my mayonnaise habit, which I'm sure is going to get all the comments. Or breakfast deviled eggs. Or breakfast deviled eggs. Brendan's patenting that. Don't take yes. his idea. Um, as always, has been Tommy. <laughs> and Brendan. And, of course, the Nissan Hardbody. Yep. Thanks, guys. Oh, my God. I'm going to go drive almost a Nissan Hardbody what? on Monday. What is it? What do you mean? What is almost the Nissan? Hard in body? 1983, Nissan did a press trip where they drove from Las Vegas to California on the Mojave Road. Okay. In Nissan trucks in the 80s, and we're recreating it in 2023 trucks. Where is this at? In in um, Las Vegas. And why wasn't I invited? Because because it was not technically a hard body. It's pre hard body. Oh, okay. So um, I'm gonna go. Uh, it's gonna be very cold, I think. It's gonna. It's not gonna be very glamorous, but it will be a good adventure. And we are driving in the footsteps of the hard body. Okay. Just being on the same road where a hard body once has been is an honor in itself. Absolutely. All we right. all need to go buy a hard body. <laughs> Let us know what you guys think in the comments below. I'll see you on the next episode. Take care, guys.